to episode 24 of Tall Poppy. Not only is Charles Bird an Evernote guru, he's also starting to own his expertise as a joint venture master after what he describes as the market yelling at him to do it. He's only been working for himself for just over two years, and he's scaling up such that he's hiring someone new every month at this point. He's clearly doing something right, which is ultimately the theme of this interview. Sure, we talk about what underpins effective productivity and some really interesting stuff about humans and technology, but the foundation of it all is relationships. In this interview, you will learn from someone who has not only left their job and started their own business, but Charles has effectively leveraged everything he'd done previously, his career, his networks, his own skill, and what he enjoys doing. Today, the promotion of his course has reached over 500,000 people, and by the end of this year, he's on track to reach a million. And Charles teaches live to thousands of people a year. This is a program that helps transform the anxiety we feel from information overload into a solid system where you can access the information you need within five seconds. One of the byproducts that I appreciate is that it makes being paperless possible. And if you follow me on Facebook, you may have seen the video that Charles did on freedom while riding his skateboard over the weekend. It gives you a bit of a sense of what is important to him and why he does this. So let's have a listen. All right, so I'd like to welcome Charles Bird to Tall Poppy. Welcome, Charles. Why, thank you. (laughs) So, um, Charles, can you tell me, let's start with something in your surroundings that you can describe to us. Well, I am sitting in my office, which is also a studio, so I've got uh, lighting and and uh, microphone and speaker equipment. I've got a large window that behind it is a, a tree and a street and other houses, because I work from home. And where in the world are you? I'm very close to San Francisco, about 10 minutes from Napa, where all the delicious wine comes from when it comes from California. <laughs> um, so, yeah, in between Fairfield and Vallejo. And I'm, I'm just thinking of the wine thing. Is the San Joaquin Valley also where wine comes from? Uh, a lot of produce comes from the San Joaquin Valley. Uh, most of the wines in Central California come from the coast, um, and there's some great wines near Lodi and so forth, but the most famous wine area in California is the Napa Valley, um, and they sure have some delicious treats for us. <laughs> mm. I, uh, and this is a little bit off track, but I, I was freight hopping through um, California quite a few years ago now, and I remember stopping in the San Joaquin Valley and just seeing, you know, rows and rows and rows of things like pineapples and chilies and oh no no it wasn't pineapples it was watermelon and um we actually went and grabbed one of the watermelons and it was yellow inside and i think i don't think i'd actually even seen that before it was pretty exciting <laughs> anyways that, that was a little bit of a detractor so charles tell us a bit about what you do well uh let's see what do i do online education um joint ventures internet marketing um but this is building on uh 15-year career in the Silicon Valley, uh, doing mm-hmm. doing the whole corporate thing, and then um, choosing to liberate myself and become my my own boss. <laughs> so what's it like being your own boss? What's the best thing about it and what's the worst thing about it? Okay, best and worst. Best is, uh, I'll call it freedom because it is, but um, I, I heard a saying or read a saying lately, uh, creating a company to get more free time is like having a baby to have more free time. Um, you know, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but that said, um, I'm absolutely having the most fun of my life uh, career-wise and uh, the people I spend time with, the places I go, the opportunities and the vastness of the possibilities are staggering. I, I thought I was having a blast before running my own departments and things like that at a billion dollar software company. This is way the hell cooler. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And so let's go to the other end of the scale. What uh, do you find most difficult about working for yourself? Well, my company's 
relatively new, bar- barely a year old. And uh, as of yesterday, we just picked up our sixth team member. Um, so it's it's basically learning to scale and run a team. And I, I've done all of this before, but it's a little different when it's just your shop and everything's uh, getting up and going. So it's, uh, yeah, most difficult, I'd say, just learning to scale very quickly. And um, it's a fun challenge to be a part of. But, it, you know, I I kind of see it like this. When you decide to do something, the road forms in front of you um, pretty much magically. There's a ton of work involved, but it, it the right people come in, the right opportunities, the right partnerships um, just come together because you chose to go down a certain path. That, that's what I'm noticing. So that sounds really exciting. And I can imagine that it's it's been a, a bit of a journey to to get to where you are now. So how, how long have you been working for yourself? How long have like, well, tell me a little bit about the journey from, you know, where you started to how you got to where you are now. Sure. So I'll, I'll uh, kind of illuminate the the path from deciding to leave the corporate world. I didn't know what I was going to do next. So I had spent nine months <laughs> remodeling my house. That's a good use of your first nine months off of uh, a corporate <laughs> job, managing people like, but anyway, um, I, I have some friends, Joe and Julia, they, they're peers, friends of mine. I went to school with Joe and um, they'd started a wooden watch company called Wood. And then they started, Oh, I've heard of that. Nice. And then they started a wooden sunglasses company called Tree Hut. Mm-hmm. And it took, Oh, a that's while. so cool. It took them, I don't know, it took about three years for Wood to get going. And then they launched Tree Hut and surpassed Wood in six months. And wow. um, about the time they were buying their second house in San Francisco, I was like, wait, my peer group can run their own company and be successful? No one told me. Um, so once I figured that out, uh, I chatted with them. I'm like, I'm, I'm leaving the corporate world. I, I want to do something cool like what you guys are doing. So I was talking to them about wooden things I can make. And they were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Digital products, no sourcing, no shipping, uh, no yes. any of this. And that's when a light... The products and services are such a different world, are they? Yeah, exactly. And literally, I think that day, a big light bulb popped up over my head because I, because of my background, um, running projects, teams, um, doing the marketing for everything. I was releasing, producing videos, creating the trainings. I was like, ah, I already, I already know how to do all of that. Um, so now all I need to learn is how to market that in, uh, online. And so that's when I decided to create an online course. And I'm a big fan of productivity and personal productivity uh, so I kind of analyzed the areas I could teach about. There was about 40 things. I narrowed that down to 12 that I use every day and I'm very proficient at. And then I just asked myself, what's helped me the most in, in my personal productivity that I could share with people? And it, it was Evernote. And so. Fantastic. I'm such I, a fan of Evernote. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was like, cool. So I'll make a course in that. And I, all I did was take my own workflows that I use every day that were developed over years. I, I could tell you stories of how that came to be, but um, basically the the system I'd used to be successful running $5 million projects and 12 enterprise projects at a time. Um, wow. The only possible way to survive is to have systems that you trust and can depend on and and it's a combination of tools, workflows, and habits because you can have the best tool in the world, but without a workflow to apply it to what you're doing, it's, it's kind of not quite <laughs> it's useful. And you could have the best tools and workflows, but without the habits to uh, have those mental triggers of, oh, this is important. I might want to save it and refer to it in the future um, without those habits to capture information when it comes across your plate. Um so it's the trifecta, the three three legs of the milk stool. 
So it's tools, workflows, and habits. Absolutely. I want to get into that in a moment, but um, can you tell us, for, for those that don't know what Evernote is, can you say a little bit about what it is as a tool? Sure. So uh, it is a tool that enables you to do, well, probably I'll say three things. One, to capture information where you are the author and source and creator and brilliance of getting your ideas, your thoughts, your tasks and lists uh, out of your brain into a tool so you can create content, write content, get things off your mind, create checklists, take your own photographs, put them in there, um, record your own voice, your audio, record meetings. You can be the author and source of that information. So it's a place to capture that and a working space, a working area. Um, it's also a place to collect information from all kinds of sources, um, from the web, paper documents, receipts, forms, on the cell, on the phone, at work, and at home. And it is a method to collect all that in one place. So the stuff you create and the stuff that you observe and um, basically live with, email, paper, all that, and put it in one repository so you have a method to get to everything. And also, uh, I teach people how to use tags and search so they can find what they need within five seconds. Awesome. I love that. And um, anyone who's been listening for a while who has seen any of my blogs will know that Evernote is sort of the top of my list of um, tools that make me more able to, um, well, to work smarter and just to have a functional life. I refer to it sometimes as my second brain and sometimes just as my primary brain. It's just literally where everything gets held um, from an information perspective. So, so this is the tool. So Evernote as a tool that helps us to, um, to be able to do life. Actually, interestingly enough, and I think I can't remember if I mentioned this in my, in my blog or not, uh, um, but the, what I started using Evernote for was primarily recipes. At first, I, like I, it was referred to me by someone years ago, and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, that's interesting. The thing that got me was you could take a photo of a handwritten note, and you could search a word that's in that note, and it show up that was uh, the selling point for me, even though I was using the free version for years to, beforehand. But that, but for some reason, I didn't really get into the habit, which I think will you know is the the one of the pieces that um, of the puzzle. But yeah, I just I was using it for recipes, and so a lot of my early tags are like carrots and apples and cashews and that kind of thing. Perfect. But now it's a very different story. It's a, I use it for business primarily, and and honestly, I can't imagine life without it. So, but let's get into workflows. What does, what is a workflow and how do you use it? Okay. So workflows are a way to apply the tool in a consistent, repetitive way that um, basically deliver for you every time you, you know what to do in certain situations, um, such as every time you have a meeting, uh, you can create a mental trigger of I'm having a meeting. So therefore, that, that's the cue, and the response to that cue is, I will make a new note. So very simple. I'm meeting someone, new note. And then you do some... Yeah, that comes into my mind a lot now, which is great. It's like, oh, yes, I need to make a new note on this. And whether it's a podcast or something that I'm referring to um, of an article that I've read, I've got one notebook that is called Resources Read and one that's called Resources to Read and all the tags that are associated with that as well. Yeah, that's perfect. So when you're meeting with someone, you can make a new note, you can tag it with that person's name, and you can tag it with whatever the main topics of that conversation are. So if you're talking launch strategy or new book or research, you just simply uh, break down what it, what are the, what's the primary reason for the meeting and then tag it as such, uh, which makes it super easy to find in the future. So that would be a workflow. Or I travel a ton, like... In January, I was in eight cities and five countries and also did 14 live webinars. And um, Wow, that sounds pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 the way to keep the wheels on the bus in those situations, um, like every trip I go on, next week I'll be in Vegas and then Austin, um, I make a new note for for that trip and I'll tag it with the destination. And if I'm speaking at a event or mastermind, I'll tag it with that. And then... Do you use the geotagging as well? 
I do have that on. I don't. Uh, I, I don't depend on it for a lot. Certain people's roles it, that could actually come quite in handy. I do use it, but it's not um, a primary thing that I depend on. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's handy and it's fun to see across the world where I've made different notes and how many. Yeah. Um, but on a trip, I'll, I'll create something I call it. Uh, and what I teach is uh, I'll create a master note for that trip. And then I'll just have like four or five simple lines, flight info, hotel or Airbnb, uh, contact list, speaking topics. And then it's just a simple note. So when you get out at the airport and you want your flight itinerary, you have a shortcut to that master note for your trip and you just touch flight and there's your all your flight info or just touch Airbnb and there's that info just always readily available so you're not hunting for anything. Um, so that's that's the workflow for a trip. And then as, uh, as you're going through the trip, like if you were capturing it, business cards or expenses or anything like that, you can simply open Evernote and capture those on the way as well. Mm, excellent. So what's, what do you think is uh, the biggest barrier? Like I, I'm thinking of it from a habit perspective, because I know that, you know, lots of us have a lot of tools that we either don't use, don't use well, or don't use to their, to the, like a fraction of their capacity. And even though I feel like I'm a, I'm a pretty, um, I'm not a power user of Evernote, but I, I think I use it reasonably well, but it took me a long time to get into that habit and to get, um, you know, to the point where I could see the value in having the, um, the paid version. Um, so what do you think is the, the biggest barrier in creating the, the habits of being able to use these tools? Okay. So for one, I would say that you can pick a, a certain number of activities that you know are going to keep happening and that you can kind of get the, the biggest bang for your investment of, of time, which is minimal. But uh, to just give two simple examples, and, and you could just say, fine, I want to check out Evernote. I don't want to go crazy. I just want to test the water. You, you can mm-hmm. pick two things, two or three, that, that are like this. For one, back to... Um, if you're meeting with someone, just make a new note and capture some of those thoughts there. Or after you've met, if you've been taking handwritten notes, you just pull out your phone, open Evernote, snap a picture. And now you can word search anything in those notes. And when you leave your yellow notepad in the Uber and it drives off, you won't be screwed. Um, so that that could be one. Another would be if a receipt pops out of a machine or someone hands it to you for something you might possibly return. Just snap a picture of it. Um, so you, you could create two, three, four, whatever scenarios where you're like, okay, in this situation, I'm going to depend on Evernote for that. Um, and then that way, you can get in the habit of it for for those items. And then naturally, your brain will just start saying, oh, well, this would be handy in there too, wouldn't it? Uh, let's let's do... You You can slowly build on it. Like if people recommend a book to you, Maybe you're in the middle of a book, so you don't have time to run out and buy it. Um, you could just have a note and tag it book recommendations or books. And then I've also started to take photos of books that I've lent to people and then set a reminder for like, you know, three months down the track. So uh-huh. I remember, oh, yeah, that's where my book is. <laughs> yeah, that that's perfect example. So you don't have to tackle everything at once. I mean, the way it's evolved for me, I've I have twenty five thousand notes, and I can find almost anything in five seconds. And um, so it ends. And is up that because of your tagging system? Primarily, yes. So, can you say a little bit about how you use tags? Yeah. So the the natural inclination of people when they start making notes is they they want to put them in notebooks because. Since school, you know, we've had notes for notebooks for English, math, this and that. Then you got your first job and you have a notebook for client A, B, project C, Z. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the natural way to do it. But you can only put um, a note into one notebook. So mm-hmm. if you're meeting with someone and you're talking about uh, launch strategies and book research and new client onboarding, uh, what notebook are you going to put that in? You, you have to 
you can only pick one, the person's name, client onboarding, launch strategies. So you're limited. Yeah, I did find that a bit challenging. and Because, uh, yeah, I did find myself trying to figure out how, what's the best way to organize this? Is it by topic? Is it, is it in a different structural way? So, yeah, and, and I'm just going to um, take a step back and say that when I, I listened to, I think it was your webinar last year, and started to hear about how how you use things. I've changed the way I've started tagging and I've got a lot more tags now than I did before. Um, and some of them, there's only one note associated with it and that's fine. That's fine. Um, Cause like imagine yeah. a tag on a topic like that passport. Yeah. You might only have one note there, but guess what? When you want to find that thing, no yeah. problem. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So people's general inclination is to head for, for notebooks and, Notebooks are great and all, but the magic of of tags is that you can have as many as are relevant. And typically, that's one, two, probably five at most, uh, although you can go nuts if you felt inclined. But point being, if you have that meeting on launch strategy, on uh, researching a book, on new introductions... Uh, you can tag it with the person's name and those two or three topics. And then later, like an example I use in my webinar is a, a building project, a real estate building project. So my realtor's name, building project, real mm. estate. And then if my wife walks in and says, what's going on with the building project? I can just open that tag. Or if the realtor calls, I can just pull up the tag of her name and pick up right where we left off. So you get multiple entry points into your information based on the context that it's easiest to find it. So it sounds a little bit like you're almost using it like a CRM. Like, I mean, if you, if you're tagging individuals names and you just, you know, see the most recent, like you can see the, um, the, the last time you contacted them and the content. Yeah. So it's, yeah. can you say a little bit about, about Absolutely. that? In fact, um, with my course, I, I book a, a lot of different joint ventures and I, I use a CRM called Close with a Z because they were oh, very, yeah. very witty the day they bought that domain, Close with <laughs> a Z. And um, it integrates with Google Calendar, Gmail, and Evernote. So oh. any interaction with partners, whether it's a meeting, an email, or any note that has their name, it will all come up in the same place, and then I can um, track track the interaction and where they're at in the process of from just reaching out all the way to booking our fifth webinar together because um, it's a flow, and you can see what's going on at any particular point, which gives you a, a lot of... Um, it, it's very helpful because when you're managing several hundred partners... Uh, relationship building is about connecting and following up, picking up where you left off. And if you're not tracking this stuff, you're going to be flying blind. Um, That's one of the things I love about Evernote is that I, as I'm getting older, my memory isn't as good. And I know that I can rely on Evernote to keep, especially if, if, I, if I'm in that habit of making notes about whether it's a conversation or, you know, the last thing that, you know, a particular client and I talked about, um, I can, yeah, I can go back to that and not be so concerned that my, um, physical, you know, the gray matter in my skull, um, isn't retaining it. Whereas I can rely on Evernote. Yeah. Well, they've got the elephant icon for a reason. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So let's talk about your course. Who, who is your course for primarily? Okay. So my course serves multiple markets, which is cool because it's, it's framed around people who are newer to the topic. Um, basically, when I speak around the U.S. and Canada and do webinars internationally, 92% um, of people I speak to have heard of Evernote. Three-fourths of them already have it. And three-fourths of them, uh, according to asking them, know that they could be using it better. So the majority of people have heard of it and have it and want to do more with it. So the course starts with someone who'd never even heard of Evernote um, could be up and going very quickly with, with what I teach. But every time I teach something, even in the free training that I, I give multiple times a week, um, I wrap these higher level topics around the basics because 
the truth is you've got the fundamentals of what the tool is capable of, but then it's the application that gives you the um, massive bursts in in growth and uh, time savings because you're you're really optimizing what what those features can do in the real world when you apply them. Well, that, and that's that was exactly my experience because yeah, when I um, I watched your webinar, I had been using Evernote for easily five years, and I got a lot out of it. I could you know, and, and part of it is. I'm starting to be um, a little bit more interested in in like what it is that well how did how to teach this stuff because my the, what I teach is is more around um, you know pe- people stuff communication um, but I'm starting to get more interested in the technology side and how we use technology to advance humanity and especially in this day and age when you know time seems to be a, a scarce commodity and. I mean, that's very much of our own making, but I, I see things like Evernote and other tools to, um, as things that really can help uh, manage our time in ways that we can, yeah, I guess bring that sort of freedom back, like you say. So tell me a little bit more about like the, the time-saving element from your perspective. Well, I, I couldn't agree more because I feel like we live in, in a little bit of a dichotomy because we've created a society where we're more time stretched than ever and we have more information sources than ever. Um, So we're bombarded with um, text messages, Facebook, uh, email, calendars, this, this crazy collage that 10 years ago, 50 years ago, it didn't even exist. I mean, uh, can you see people running around the prairie trying to get signal on their, um, phones it it just didn't happen so the world is more complex and convoluted but we can take the very technology where uh, we have access to and simplify our lives by embracing the change we have more powerful tools than at any other time in history in fact um when i was growing up i wanted to be an astronaut and i had pictures of astronauts all over <laughs> me too <laughs> I had um, Buzz Aldrin standing on the moon, the picture Neil Armstrong took, and I got to meet Buzz Aldrin when I was... Did you really? Uh, I did. My my dad put on a fundraiser for White Memorial Medical Center, and Buzz Aldrin was one of the guests. And, wow. Uh, so I got to meet him and got a picture signed by him, and it got me thinking about the technology they used to get to the moon. Back. Th- those computers were designed in the 50s and 60s for the Apollo missions, and I want to point something crazy out. The computer in your pocket is 120 million times more powerful than what got them to the moon. That just boggles my brain. So you're walking around with a supercomputer in your pocket. Yeah, and I've, I've, I've sort of had that awareness for a while. And because and, um, I think I heard you say that quite some time ago um, as well. But I've also heard it in other contexts. But um, I saw Hidden Figures recently and was looking at sort of the tech from... I think they had one of the first computers and they had to actually physically chop the door up to be able to get it in the room. And now we carry something in our pocket that is, yeah, like you say, was it 120 million times more powerful? It's just phenomenal. Yeah, I So yeah, go ahead. One of my partners, he heard that me say that and he's like, is that real? And I was like, well, I'll just Google it again. I'm like, yep, (laughs) it's real. Oh, that's hilarious. So, so tell me about how you see technology being in service of humanity. By the way, I like the way you frame that um, because I don't think most people do. I, I, I like that. Well, I, I think we have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it, but I, I love it. And, um, you know, but I also come from an environmental background where I can see that there's a lot of damage that happens in terms of, you know, whether it's the creation of, you know, the, the tools that we use. But I just think there's so much potential for us to be able to, um, you know, especially with this old, you know, singularity and AI and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's like it, we have created it. So let's have it be in service of humanity. So yeah, tell me more about what you think. Well, I, I, 
really do love that perspective. And honestly, you just don't hear it often. So I, I might become your, your new surrogate for um, projecting it that way. <laughs> cool. But, um, yeah, basically, that's how I've, I've viewed it all along. Like, <laughs> I've, I've always kind of been a tech nerd, but um, it, like I had one of the first pocket PCs before that was cool by anyone's measure at all. You had something about this size, but you were the only one. So everyone looked at you like you're an idiot. Um, that, that's so you're an early adopter. Very early adopter. And and now this is the most commonplace thing to see in someone's hand. In fact, in fact, it borderlines the opposite of what you want when you can walk into a, a city square or on a train and no one's looking at each other, looking at their phones. So yeah. how, how can this be in service of us? And th this mm -hmm. is how. It's creating an awareness. Did you know that I believe it's about 98% of people don't change the uh, default alerts on their devices. I got mm. that from inter an interview I did with Nira Ayel, a uh, uh, best-selling author on these kind of topics. And basically, if we want the technology to be in service of us, we need to be a level above it, meaning we design how we want it to serve us. We design exactly. when when we want to interact with it and how it will be the most beneficial. Because if you do just take the defaults, it's easy to get sucked down the rabbit hole. Um, I, I, uh, one of my partners for my course is a company called Asian Efficiency, and I did an interview with Tan from Asian Efficiency. And his morning routine, he recommends you don't even check your email until you've gone through your whole in his case, something like an hour and a half routine with a workout and a this and a that. And nice. we, all, we all run businesses. The first thing you want to do is check what the hell's happening. But um, if we can design routines that serve us, so we're in control of our day, we've taken care of ourselves, we've taken care of our family, and then sit down ready to kick butt because we're in a position to do it. We're, it's like, who? which air mask do you put on first? Yeah, good point. Yeah. Yeah, we have to take care of ourselves first. So um, I'm going to, I imagine we can probably jump, go down that track much further, but I, I'm going to move into the, the leadership stuff. Sure. So tell me a little bit about what leadership means to you now that's different than it was earlier in your life. Well, um, coming up on the corporate side, doing project management, I'd lead teams of 30 to 50 internationally on projects. Uh, it feels a lot different in the on the entrepreneur side. I remember being, which is weird, I remember being kind of terrified to hire my first employee, which is strange because I've hired a ton of people. But when they... I think that's actually a really interesting one because a lot, there's this propensity to be like, hang on a sec... Can you guys stop? <laughs> Sorry, these guys are getting a bit restless. Um, yeah, I think that's really interesting because there's a lot of this sort of solo entrepreneur mindset that's like, I got to do it myself. But the, the from my perspective, one of the most important things to do is to delegate and to yeah to get your first your first hire. So yeah, can you say a bit more about that? Yeah, so I'd been worried about it, and I noticed my business was ramping up to the point I because. Uh, my whole business is based on joint ventures to this point. So it's it's all about building relationships, booking promotions, and then building out the back end of those promotions. And I was doing 100% of it myself and, and doing just fine until... Can I ask how long you did it for yourself, by yourself? Uh, yeah, let's think about that. Um, <laughs> probably... Was it like things, three years, five years? no. Things ra things ramped up very quickly. Um, uh, okay. Yeah, great. So basically, in the whole time, uh, one of my biggest clients asked me to manage all his joint partnerships. And in that whole time, I did six webinars for myself in nine months. Wow. Now I do two to six every week. <laughs> um, Crazy. So 
I bet you practiced at it though, so it's probably less work, yeah. It is, but I, I've, when I started booking more and more, I'm like, I don't have time to build out the back end and book them, and that's ah. that's when I was like getting stressed because I'm like, I can't keep up with this. I have to hire someone, and mm -hmm. I was actually going to hire a company in the Philippines, but what happened was, um. I've, I started going to a lot of events in the industry and started making friends and connections. And uh, anyway, one of my friends that I'd been talking to and having meetings and chats with just because um, ended up being the guy to help me out building these out. So it was um, very liberating because I, I was worried about having to train someone from scratch who wasn't even familiar with this industry. Instead, I got a amazing guy who knows the industry is super competent and uh that's how my experience has gone since and in wow. fact the person that i just brought on yesterday is a great friend of mine i had no idea that it would transpire like like this we were ju just chatting so uh, not that this is my recommendation for hiring people is become their friend first but it works pretty damn good <laughs> <laughs> that's great so you were talking about some of the like from a leadership perspective the difference between your experience in the corporate world and then um, working for yourself so tell, tell me a yeah. bit more about that so in the corporate world there's a lot more vetting that happens before you ever meet a lot of people so it 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 feels different i i felt as a solopreneur and then building a team it definitely feels different. And I think probably, at least in my experience, I'm, I'm not sure everyone would have this experience, but instead of going out cold, um, I've done the best through just relationship building. I've, I've built a very lot of relationships. And the magic of that is then you've got this network of if, and I do this all day for people, like many a day. I do introductions because once you have your ear to the ground and you hear what people want and you hear what other people's skills are, you can bring them together. And um, so I think I would recommend, uh, although there's a science to it that's probably unbeknownst to me, but um, if you can just really try to listen to what other people's needs are and what they do, uh, you can start bringing people together. And then when you need something, you have a network where... A, I probably know someone who can do it right now, but B, if I don't, I know who I can ask and I will get the right people back basically every time because I've invested the time to build relationships with people. So I think my advice for a solopreneur would be, for one, please stop thinking you have to do it all yourself. In fact, one of my partners that I promised to support for a launch, uh, we were just messaging a few minutes ago, she, she I'll, I'll caveat this, she knows better. She still thinks she has to do everything herself. And the truth is there's no way you can scale if you have that mindset. It's, it's impossible to scale if you think you have to do everything yourself. So um, we were going to support her on a launch. She ended up not being ready for the launch because she was trying to do everything herself. And so Interesting. please... If, if you're of the mindset that you have to do everything, um, you won't get as far. That's not meant to sound bad. It's just kind of... No, I think that's really wise advice. <laughs> yeah. So uh, not, not that I have it figured out, but um, somehow we hire a new person every month. Wow. Fantastic. <laughs> So I'm, I'm curious about your own learning journey around this stuff and if there's like a book or a resource that you find, whether it's about leadership or business or sort of that's helped you get to where you are, um, that you find yourself referring to others. Yeah, well, um, after I found audible.com, I actually started reading a ton Um because yeah, it's funny how it's easier to, I don't know, I, I really enjoy being read to and I, I still read paper books, but there's, yeah, I feel like I can consume a lot more when it comes to the just, yeah, yeah it was the many, electronic version. Many years ago, still in my corporate career, I, I was reading a, a stupid two to three books a year. And then after I discovered Audible, it jumped to 25 to 30 books a year. Wow, that's remarkable. 
Um, so books that come to mind on leadership, like company leadership, um, good to great. Um, uh, what do you like about good to great? Well, I, I like hearing about how the difference between the average and the not average, like the, uh, the leap between it's, it's like a a cultural and mindset, mindset shift where you're, Mm -hmm. Um, it's like, what does differentiate, uh, those who really thrive, um, versus those who just survive or even don't. Um, mm-hmm. so I, what I gathered out of those books and, uh, by that author, the, the mindset of, uh, shoot bullets, then cannonballs instead of, uh, cannonballs, then, <laughs> then mm-hmm. disaster. Um, yeah. So it's it's a matter of of testing the water, but um, anything like that action will take you way further than planning. And I'm a big fan of planning. I'm a certified project manager. I planning's good, great, and healthy, and all that. But you won't get anywhere until you start trying and then figure out. Well, that didn't work great. So now we're going to pivot this way. Um, you adapt way the hell faster and get a lot further by taking action. It doesn't mean you don't plan as well, but if you just sit around trying to make the perfect plan, you will not do anything. So with that in mind, I'm curious what you see down the track in the future. I mean, there's all this speculation about the future of work. There's the, the automation and, you know, I mean, part of that, like we were talking before about technology being in service of humanity, which isn't necessarily the direction that most people see that we're headed. But what do you think that we need to pay most attention to to prepare for the future? Or well, is there a particular mindset that you think is going to be of value? Uh, I think a mindset that will be of value is recognize that advances in technology means shortcuts for certain things that used to take a lot more effort. So um, my viewpoint I, I'm sure not everyone would agree is to embrace technology and learn to harness it for an advantage in your own um, time expenditure and your focus expenditure. I, I'm actually really eager to see the new phase of like augmented technology and where you have updates on different things. Uh, yeah, I guess we're getting minority report, but it's uh <laughs> I I do I do really get excited about new technologies not even thinking that far, far ahead um actually just thinking of today. Like drones have been out for a long time, right? Well, mm. 8 years if that's a long time, but um yeah. in technology that's a long time. And and I'm a, a gadget and tech junkie, but I did not get into drones till now. And I just bought one. Oh, yeah? And it's freaking amazing. Um, what like, do you like about it? <laughs> well, I like the fact that I waited long enough um, to get into it to now they've got it figured out and dialed in. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, have, a, I have a drone that's the size of a 32-ounce water bottle that... Oh, yeah. Folds out. In fact, I did a mastermind two weeks ago in San Diego. Fifteen people in the um, presidential suite of the Manchester Grand Hyatt, and I had them all line up in the windows. And I took the drone and panned it across the windows, looking at everyone waving, and then zoomed out to show we're on the fortieth floor, and then wow. flew over the hotel. Um, that would have been impossible a few years ago. Um, not to mention. I saved buying all those crappy versions beforehand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, actually, I, I would love to step back and talk a little bit about um, the the mastermind that you that you did. Can you can you say a little bit about what that was like and and um, how it eventuated? Yeah, so there were two key fueling elements that I would say for one. Well, I'll mention the topic. The topic was on joint ventures, and it was on basically the whole workflow of building relationships, different traffic sources, um, how to track and manage those relationships, how to provide value, how to uh, build out the back end of promotions and 
and make it a self-replicating process, which is how I book two to six joint venture webinars every week. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never had any intention of teaching that. I teach my Evernote course and uh, productivity topics, but people in the industry kept pinging me. So that was Catalyst One. They kept asking, how are you doing that? How are you doing that? And uh, I went to about five different masterminds where they asked me to present on it, and people were emailing and calling and asking about it. So eventually, I I was at Tom Morcus' uh, event in Aspen and did an hour and a half coaching session with a client over some whiskey. And he's like, you've got to make a live event out of this. And that was the night I was like, I got an email asking about it. He was asking about it. So I was like, fine, I'm doing a live event. Anyway, so that that was step one, just letting the market yell at me loud enough. Um, <laughs> then step two, and this is the opposite of, of bragging. We ran out of time to even promote this thing. Like we got we got ducks in a row and, and moved it forward. But we didn't start marketing the event until five, uh, seven days before the event. Oh my God, that sounds really stressful. Which if you know anything about live events, that's dumb. So let's start with that. Um, But I will say I've spent well over a year just building quality relationships with people. Mm, That makes all the difference, doesn't it? I do that online. I do that by going to a lot of events. And so you end up with this, this. This is why I was saying earlier, when you choose to do something, the path forms in front of you. If you're trying to do it as an island, there won't be a path. If you do it with a network, crazy stuff happens. Like, um, mm. So again, seven days to promote a live event, that's unheard of and a bad idea. Um, but what happened is it attracted, uh, I was targeting people who are, they've got products, they've got good companies, they just don't know how to joint venture. Some don't know the social side of how to reach out. Some don't know how deals are structured. Some don't know the back end of how who's responsible for what and what all mm-hmm. the steps are. Um, so I was trying to reach out to people like that. What happened is it, it attracted a bunch of heavy-hitting A-listers with huge lists and as much, if not a lot more experience than I have. So we ended up with 15 people, four speakers, including our common friend, Tom Morcus. Um, and it was phenomenal. And it was it was done because of the relationships. My team came out, chose the locations, got the rooms dialed, redesigned all the furniture, other friends flew in, bought all the wine for the entire week. We, we had the presidential suite for the week. We did a dinner for 25 entrepreneurs. Um, it was remarkable. And a year ago, that would have sounded like a fantasy. Um, yeah. So the only way that happened was because I spent the time before that to build relationships with people. So they knew who I was, who what I was about, how I serve people, how I'm out to help them, uh, the success I've built up over a relatively short amount of time to where they want to be on board, they want to help, they want to take it further, and um, magically, we ended up with a pretty amazing event that everyone was happy with. My students are even the last two days ping me, I just booked my first joint ventures and blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is what this is all about. It's why it's way more fun than the corporate world. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds incredibly satisfying. So I'm going to ask you the the question that I ask everyone is if you um, had something to say to people who have, whether it's a business idea or a creative project or something that they're wanting to get off the ground, but feeling a bit reluctant, what would you say? What advice would you have for people in that space? Well, I think that's a very pertinent question and it should be the one everyone's ears perk up when when is asked because um, depending on where you're at in your life and business when you hear that question, um, 
paying a lot of attention to your inner voice and and paying attention to what you're doing today and how satisfying is it to you are are, are you able to keep a roof over your head great are you have you climbed maslow's hierarchy maybe not um have you experienced self actualization are you are you doing the stuff that if you had all the money in the world you would be doing anyway um now this is projecting so take it as such but I thought I had the world by the tail running my own department in a billion dollar software company it felt pretty cool and it was pretty cool but I can tell you the whole time I'd been thinking well, it'd be cool to start up my own company and get this going and that going and I talked to that about that with people like my brother and friends and and other people for years and then we'd be like yeah we're going to start meeting once a week and then we would for 3 weeks you know a lot of <laughs> not a lot of results when it's um not something you take dead on and it it took actually leaving the corporate world to to make the decision that okay I'm I'm done flapping my lips about this stuff and saying yeah that would be cool and we should do it instead of I am doing this I don't care what the world thinks and I printed this out probably can't see it if you're listening audibly but I can I will end of story nice that's great yeah, yeah, I can, I will, end of story. And I look at that every day. This was before I had any plan or strategy. And I was like, then when I figured out I could make online courses and um, build a business like that, I was like, look, I actually do have these skills. We're done talking about it. I'm done having family or people... Um, with no experience on such things, telling me this was a terrible idea and I need needed to be job hunting, um, and fight yeah, through that one, for months and months and months and months. And I'll tell you, a funny thing happens when, and not that we're killing it and we're multimillionaire crazy people, but a funny thing happens when you start getting a little success and a little more success and a little more success. Magically, everyone was behind you the whole time. <laughs> That's great. So, so what, what was the difference? What shifted you from talking about it to getting into action? Well, uh, I, I think that there were a couple things. One, um, I could have stayed in my corporate role, but um, it would have been an adjustment uh, that I wasn't willing to make. So it, it, it was the severance of a, a career at the same company I'd had for 15 years, which is not normal by today's standards. Mm-hmm. That's, that's like old school, hardcore, like hanging around for a while. But I'd been climbing the whole time, which was fine, why it was fine with me. Um, so just starting to job hunt again, which I did do, um, and looking at the roles, and then you picture yourself, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then I kept thinking, I don't want to do any of that. I I don't mm-hmm. want any of that. Um, or the parts I do want aren't as exciting as what the day-to-day will be. So it was very liberating to actually commit to the idea, not talk about it, not think about it, not dream about it. Just say... I don't care what happens. I'm doing this. This gets a little over dramatized, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. It's the burn the boat strategy. If you're going to take the island, you ro- come up on an island in your boats. You burn those things. You don't have an option to retreat. It's uh, kind of like um, uh, nailing the back door shut. Exactly, because then you will find a way. And and the funny thing is. I mean, not that I'm saying it's easy, but it's easier than you think. If you just get to work, you start finding people systematically that you see as um, where you are, where you want to be. It's paying attention to who's moving and shaking and just reaching out to them. In fact, one of my friends called me from Australia, a guy named Joss, 
we met online and we've talked almost every two weeks for a year and a half. Wow. Um, and I remember I joined a mastermind group uh, on course building, Danny Innes, and I just looked for who in the group looked like they were actually doing something versus mm -hmm. just sitting there. So I, that was the first person I reached out to. I've been in a mastermind with him for a year and a half. Um, mm. it, it's finding people who are actually doing stuff and then reaching out to them, figuring out what their goals are, figuring out ways to help them and uh, just build a relationship with them. And when you take the time to do it, like when I was building my course, it felt like it was taking forever because I was spending a lot of time building relationships, which felt like it was slowing me down. It was not slowing me down. It was mm -hmm. speeding me the hell up. Cause, but you uh, couldn't see that at, at, at the time? I couldn't see it at the time. It, it felt, it felt maybe like I was not using time wisely by dropping everything to send a 10 minute email to someone I barely knew. Um, <laughs> but in, in retrospect, and this is what I teach in my uh, pure JV program on, on building joint ventures and relationships, those relationships have been the most instrumental and powerful thing that have propelled the forward progress. I mean, you still need to be meeting a market need and create a product that doesn't suck. Um, but it's, it's the relationships that can propel things way faster than any Facebook or blogging or anything like, well, you can do fine with blogging, but point being, um, Building relationships is a, a massive way to speed up the growth of your business. I love that that's been such a theme throughout what you've been saying is that, you know, the, the relationships, it, it can appear as though spending time on doing that can be, you know, time consuming, slowing you down, but it is the thing that ultimately propels you. It's a fact. It never came naturally to me um, back in the day to just stop what I was doing and ping someone I hadn't talked to in six months. It seemed like a waste of time in a way because um, there's no immediate priority or um, reward or, or whatever. But, but then now you're not just reaching out to random people. You're reaching out to people who are doing what you want to be doing or um, they're doing something you want to learn about or something that you see they're doing pretty good, but maybe you could offer a tiny bit of advice to improve that. Because the truth is you probably have expertise that could help almost anyone, even if they're an expert at something. They're not an expert at everything. Um, mm, I like that because it, it's, it's, it's kind of takes it beyond relationship maintenance into mutual benefit. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, you know who Ryan Levesque is? He's Never got a, a book called Ask. Anyway, the, the guy's got a, a company of 30 plus people, this and that. He, he was doing amazing at what he was doing, but I noticed his webinars, the audio quality of his microphone wasn't that great. Um, so I was in one of his masterminds at the time and I was like, Hey, Ryan, here's some ways you could improve your audio because you're selling twenty to $50,000 a webinar. Might want to uh, consider upping XYZ. And uh, he had reasons for the way he was doing things, but that gave me an avenue to talk with him in a way that I could improve what he's doing. It, and mm. it's certainly never framed critically. It's, it's a matter of, it's one thing I love about this business. People just try to help each other. Um, and so you, you could probably, I, I could walk into a room full of billionaires and tell them all kinds of shit they don't know. Um, mm. now of course they could tell me a bunch that I don't know too, but mm -hmm. that's the value of, um, opening a dialogue and just paying attention to what people are trying to accomplish. And you probably know someone who could help streamline what someone else is trying to accomplish. You might know a tool that might make their job easier. You might know an agency that could take over something that's a pain for someone else. So it's a matter of just paying attention to what people are trying to accomplish 
and what other people do, and you bring them together, and magic things happen. Mm, beautiful. I think that's a good place to leave it. Um, Charles, I want to thank you for taking the time to um, speak with us today. And um, yeah, so before we go, is there, um, where can people reach you and, and how can they access your, your courses, the Evernote one and the Pure JV? Yeah, so the um, Evernote course you can find at killthechaos.pro, killthechaos.pro. So I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, that will work great. Our main website is birdword.com, B-Y-R-D-W-O-R-D.com. Uh, and uh, purejv is at purejv.com. So now you have three domains. You're going to remember them all, I'm sure. <laughs> and if you don't, you can just click on the show notes. There you go. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. And um, look forward to catching up again in the future. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed spending some time with you and sharing with your audience and uh, look forward to our next conversation. Sounds great. One of the things that stood out for me here was the emphasis on relationships. That in such a short time, Charles is able to bring people together and expand his audience working with others. He's not one of those fly by the seat of your pants, leave a job and start a business kind of people. He got others' opinions, realized that digital products make running a business much simpler, and focused on what he enjoyed doing, what he's good at, and found a fit with a tool that he loves, uses, and can teach. He also got really clear about the why. And the why about how technology can serve humanity can free us up, can reduce information overload, can bring down our anxiety levels. And for me, it's about being able to rely on something that isn't aging like my memory. As I grow older, I reckon I'm going to rely on it even more. And I'm really glad that I've got a decent system now and continue to learn and tweak to improve it. And I also love that Evernote has basically made it so that I can be pretty much paperless. Make sure you check out Charles's work on Facebook. He's the Evernote guru. Um, his website, birdword, B-Y-R-D.com, has all the productivity stuff and the Evernote-specific stuff, plus his Kill the Chaos program. And you can find all the links in the show notes. So just tap on the icon and scroll to see the full description. So let me ask you this. If you knew you could save three hours a week for the rest of your life, what would that be worth to you? Even if you saved one hour a week, that's 52 hours a year, which is over two days for you to do what's important to you. So have a look at killthechaos.pro and for a primer, you can see a webinar replay in the show notes as well. So to me, this is what technology in service of humanity looks like, which was another outcome from this interview. So the impact of Charles naming how I framed technology in service of humanity for me, in the following days and week, it gave me, it just had me thinking about this idea of using technology to advance humanity to a new level. Plus, the the um, the week after, I met with Carolyn Tate from episode twelve to talk about my book, and this idea brought a new angle to how I see my book, and I'm still working that out and looking to how to incorporate that. So watch the space; more to come on that. So it's time to look at what we can take to heart from my conversation with Charles Bird. How do you see the relationship between humans and technology? And how about your own relationship with technology? What helps? What hinders? And how can you improve your relationship with it? How can you make it work for you more than it does now? What help do you need? And I'm curious, does a reluctance to ask for help play a role here? What can you ask Google? And what can you ask someone who you know is more tech-savvy than you? Is there someone who could use your help that you could offer? Remember last week's episode on mentoring and the idea of mutual mentoring? Let's wrap this up. I could go much further down this track, and we will continue to explore these themes. Productivity, technology and service of humanity, the future of work, giving and receiving help. And what skills and mindsets will help us thrive into the future? 
I had a pretty cool conversation with Josh Spodek recently for an upcoming episode. Oh, and with Gus Harvey from Future Crunch. Wow, serious awesomeness there. Do you remember episode eight? I talked about Catherine Malloy as the best boss I ever had. Well, we'll hear that conversation next week. Thanks for being part of the Tall Poppy community, where we look at leadership differently, where we consider our own leadership, regardless of our role in business and life. Because yeah, Tall Poppy isn't for everyone. It's for change makers. It's for people who challenge the status quo. And for people who want to explore different aspects of leadership from both a personal and professional angle. And ultimately, it's for you. So thank you for being part of that and part of this paradigm shift in leadership that is happening. We'll see you next week with another episode to inspire your leadership, starting with the woman who shaped my leadership when we worked together 17 years ago. We'll see you on the flip side.